And so what Bitcoin wants to do is provide a monetary system that allows the builders and engineers and innovators to deliver the next round of incredible products and do so on a more self-sovereign, more individual, more opt-in, more secure, more censorship resistant, more inflation resistant, higher prosperity basis. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. In this episode, we have a conversation with Harry Sudduck, Vice President of Strategy at Grid. Harry is an incredibly articulate person who can explain the minutiae of Bitcoin with ease. We enjoyed this chat with Harry and have to commend him on dealing with our very crass sense of humor. In this episode, we talk to Harry about Bitcoin mining, clean energy, proof of work versus proof of stake, Satoshi's true discovery, the difficulty adjustment, and how nodes and miners have different roles in Bitcoin, how mining will change the economics of power production for the better, and finally, we ask Harry some personal questions about his honey hole. Which brings us to an important topic protecting your honey hole. CoinKite makes the most robust, most potent protection for your honey hole, a chastity belt for Bitcoin known as the cold card. If you want the most robust cold storage solution known to man, you need to get yourself a cold card and tuck those sats in tight for the bear market. Be the ultimate arbiter of your money, be an unabashed sovereign citizen and store your money on a cold card tucked safely away from the Canadian government. While you're at it, Pick up a black clock. This is one of the most elegant devices ever devised for Bitcoin. It cuts both ways, folks. It'll either remind you of a great financial decision or will be a constant reminder of bad timing and poor decision making. Either way, it looks good. And if you want to own a piece of Bitcoin history that you can gift your friends, check out the Open Dime. This is a quaint little USB device that stores Bitcoin and is a bearer asset. Easily the best way to give Bitcoin is a gift. Check it out. Blue Collar Bitcoin is sponsored by Ledin. Ledin is a very unique financial services company with a highly principled Bitcoin forward perspective. They are the first ever digital asset lending platform to undergo a formal proof of reserves attestation, where an independent public accountant regularly attests that the company is properly accounting for client assets. Simply put, this company mirrors and embraces the transparency, accountability, and auditability of the Bitcoin protocol and network itself. If you've listened to this show much at all, you've certainly noticed that we advise our listeners to be careful, manage risk, and not get over-leveraged. And that does include ensuring that any borrowing and lending decisions you make make sound mathematical sense based on your lifestyle and specific situation. Where available in your jurisdiction, Ledin offers a menu of powerful financial services. Keep ownership of your Bitcoin and access dollar loans with Ledin Bitcoin-backed loans. Harness your Bitcoin holdings to buy a new property or finance the home you already own with the upcoming Ledin Bitcoin mortgage product. Save Bitcoin and USDC to have access to Ledin dollar loans or trading service if available. You can look into Ledin's well-architected menu of services at ledin.io. Visit start.ledin.io slash bitcoin to sign up and you'll get $10 in USDC for creating and funding an account. You can find Harry Suddock on Twitter at Harry underscore Suddock, S-U-D-O-C-K. You can follow us on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC or send us an email at blue collar Bitcoin podcast at Gmail. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. 
All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Harry, 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 welcome on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. We've been looking forward to this one for a long time, my friend. Thanks for having me on, guys. I know, um, I know, I don't, I don't always make it easy to track me down, but, but, uh, like true, longtime preference Bitcoiners, uh, you made it happen. Hey, well, playing hard to get just makes us want you more. That's simple. <laughs> So we have, we have a bit of an expectation for you after listening to you on Peter McCormick, you have your flight booked for flying out here to O'Hare to go out to dinner tonight, right? With us. Yeah. We're looking I forward mean, I'm, to it. I'm, I'm told, I'm told you have, <laughs> you know, the Frankenstein's pizza version, um, of something, you know, there's bread and there's meat and there's cheese, but, but don't oh, it's call the it best. a pizza. It's the best. <laughs> the only real pizza that there is. <laughs> our guests always fly out here the evening after we talk on their own dime and then they pay for dinner that's yeah. usually the truth we're just a couple poor firemen here yep. so you know. i did see you at the the bitcoin conference you had a group around you and i was too bashful to come up and say hi your voice was just i was trembling from 10 feet away from the, the depth <laughs> depth of your voice so next time next time harry <laughs> i uh, well i i can tell you i probably would have preferred the conversation with you because I don't, I don't, I'm, you know, this is, this is like the, the, the dirty secret that I have is I'm, I'm an introvert. Like I go to those conferences and stuff and like it, I love it and I'm, and I'm very flattered and yeah. I love talking about Bitcoin with Bitcoiners, but like, I'm not, I'm not a huge crowds guy. I'm not a huge, you know, big, big public guy. I can resonate with that completely. The three days I was there were the most extroverted I've been. And, and I had to go cover myself in a blanket for two weeks after that to stay away from people because it was just <laughs> too much, too much stimulus. The, exactly. It was cool, though. The introvert extrovert thing is fascinating. Like it depends on how you define it. But if you define it in, I think, what's the more traditional form of where you get your energy? Is it from people or from being alone? What may surprise is Def, I definitely am a, my wife would attest a catastrophic introvert, which may, especially since I'm doing a podcast and I'm blabbering my mouth every week may surprise, but she's the one forcing me out of the house. My favorite thing to do is basically be alone. And Josh and anybody else that works with me at the firehouse can attest. I am a reclusive cat for sure. <laughs> I come out hard, Harry, but then I go away and I, uh, you don't see me for a while. You're kind of the same yeah. way too, Josh, in a way. Yeah, I do try to disappear. Especially considering, you know, some of the f characters that are floating around. Sometimes you got to hide. Yeah. Three introverts. Let's just shut this thing down. I don't really feel like talking <laughs> to you guys today. <laughs> Harry, tell us about yourself. Introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, what you do, and maybe your journey into the Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining space. Sure. Um, I'm Harry. Uh, I work at Grid, and we mine Bitcoin. Um, that's that's the that's the the, the high level, but you know, the, like with everything in Bitcoin, you know, the, the, the headline tells, you know, the headline is sort of maximum compression and then you go one level down below and, and you don't know what you're going to find, you know, mm -hmm. on, when you turn the rock over. And so, you know, I had a, a pretty, honestly, a pretty standard path to Bitcoin, frankly, which is went to college, studied Keynesian economics, 
thought that perhaps that was not a particularly uh, uh, explanatory field of study for the world around me. Joined an early stage fintech startup out of school. We got sold. We got sold again. We got sold again. Ended up at the CME, you know, kind of saw how the financial sausage was getting made, you know, got my Bitcoin, you know, touch points along the way and said, this is dumb internet money. That's not for me. Um, and then, you know, kind of late 2016, early 2017, um, was working and, and, you know, was just like, couldn't shake sort of the Bitcoin thing. And, and, you know, there was a guy, uh, on our, on our team on the desk who was telling me that he gave his buddy 10 grand to go trade Bitcoin for him. And I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And that was when Bitcoin just went back above a thousand for the first time. I think, I think it was, I think it was like Jan or Feb 20, 2017. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I have to know what this is because I've heard about Bitcoin now in high school, now in college, now in my early career, like this is, this is, this is something that, that I can't shake and it keeps getting dumber. And so, you know, that to me is like the, when something doesn't die and keeps getting dumber, it's a thing I have to pay attention to. <laughs> right. Um, and so like that, that indicator for me was like, all right, need to learn. Started kind of getting my rabbit hole education series going, you know, you know, 2017 and, and by the end of 2017, I was ready to, to take on a full-time role. Um, at the time I was like in Bitcoin, like, or maybe crypto. Um, and, and, you know, went down the path of thinking about what kind of company would I want to start? What kind of skill set do I have? Spoiler alert. I did not have a skill set at the time. Um, and, you know, as we kind of got through 2018, um, I met our founder and CEO, Trey Kelly, um, you know, like, like any, like any good, uh, startup story, meeting dudes on the internet. Um, so, you know, we met, uh, on, in a chat room and got coffee a few weeks later and ended up joining grid as the first employee, um, sort of end of the year. And, and the rest is, is history a little bit. That's the, that's the pre grid story. Um, and what I didn't appreciate at the time and, and really appreciate a lot more now is just that if you just do something for like two, three, four years, a lot, and don't focus on anything else, you can get pretty good at it pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, and it, it just kind of takes like singular focus on one reasonably unique niche and you can make up a lot of ground. Cause like I never studied anything but energy. I don't know anything about construction or infrastructure or network design or cybersecurity or like any of the stuff that like, well, like the, the relevant skill set for an actually good Bitcoin miner. I didn't have any of that. I'm just like willing to do something and beat my head against a wall for a few years. And, and so that's really kind of the, the approach that we took is we, you know, we felt like, um, you know, we had some really powerful market insights into why we thought there was an opportunity to carve out new space for how a Bitcoin miner gets built and scales. But, you know, we, we, we had the great fortune of hiring all those skill sets I mentioned, but, you know, we didn't come to the table with them. I want to piggyback on something you said earlier. 
about Bitcoin catching your attention simply because it's not dead. And I think I think that's applicable right now because we yeah. just went sub 20K. We went down to 17. Who knows where the floor is? We have no fucking clue. What I think the three of us probably share uh, conviction in is that 69 whatever wasn't the top for this thing. And when you think about the orders of magnitude of people that were onboarded this last cycle, they're... I don't know if it, we, we could call it a light bulb moment, but their butthole pucker moment is going to be when this thing breaks all time highs again and they realize it's not dead. And like everybody's kind of been through that process of you onboarded when this thing was in a hype cycle, you sort of lost interest when it cut off. And then when you realized it wasn't dead, it was continuing to exist. It was continuing to pump out blocks and over time demand accrued to it. That's when it causes you to go that one step further, maybe read that next book, talk to that person that, that hit you three years earlier. And I think that is really what ropes people into the, the genuine learning process or can be just simply it's persistence in, and it's, it's just it's not dead. As simple as that sounds, that can be really the captivating hook for a lot of people. I, I totally I totally agree. I want to respond. I, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, before we started um, recording, you mentioned you know, just these ideas of balance sheet and personal balance sheet and it, it not being dead. And, and I, you know, what I keep coming back to, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, a bit of a meme or cliche like Bitcoin is savings technology. Prices are going up. They're not going to stop going up. And just because they go up more slowly doesn't mean that the inflationary debasement of your time is over. It just means that you're going to die less quickly. And so like when you think about your personal balance sheet and value accrual plan over time, like what else, what other tools do you have available to you other than work harder, make more money, consume less? Right. After you do that, the equation becomes generate revenue, aka work harder, consume less, close the month with more. What do you do with the remainder? What are you going to go buy? Where, where are you going to go put that that saved time? Do you have an Do you have a better option? You know, yeah, you can you can buy the S and P. You can buy your favorite company. You can you know do all those things. But like at the end of the day, like if Bitcoin is not part of your value accrual plan and your balance sheet development plan, like you haven't been paying attention. Yeah. Also, free cash flows. You know, on this topic, like both. From a business perspective and a personal perspective, free cash flows are paramount. And we're we're seeing some of that right now. Like, especially to the demographic we're speaking to, spend less than you make, whether that's tighten up or increase your income threshold, you gotta have free cash flows, right? And even even from the the Bitcoin pleb perspective, like if you've spent all your your dry powder on this, let's say you're in the the camp of let's get on zero. Well, you want to be able to buy into these environments, and the best way to do that is have a viable career and cash flow that enables you to do so. But that that is totally dissimilar from the environment we've been in with a totally clownish cost of capital for however long period of time. You know, I want to just change this on a slight tangent here. One of the things I've been noticing, and I'm sure you guys have as well, is that some of these small Bitcoin addresses, addresses with less than like say 0.01 to one Bitcoin, have been accumulating during this entire drawdown. One of the things that Paul D Tudor Jones said was the most interesting thing about Bitcoin when he started being interested in it in 2019, I believe it was, is that they held this line, like these small, basically the plebs held this line in Bitcoin where it looked like the ugliest chart you've ever seen, like this thing is going to die. And we're seeing that play out again in real time. 
these these small margin buyers. I mean, prices are built at the margin. People are accumulating mm-hmm. this thing. People with conviction and understanding, people like the three of us are continuing the DCA, probably take some bigger bites if they can. Um, this is incredibly encouraging. There's no fundamentals here that have been broken or in my view, there's nothing to worry about here. This is just Bitcoin doing its thing, shitting the bed, going up you know, exponentially, and the cycle continues. Yeah, I think people just misunderstand what Bitcoin is and like why it's useful, right? Like Bitcoin, like Bitcoin is not like Apple stock in your IRA. It just isn't, right? Bitcoin is, you know, the is the the HVAC unit that you have on your house, and so it's not a nice like it, 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 for for a lot of the folks who are engaging with this monetary technology, it's not a nice to have. It's a must have. And it has to work the way that it's intended and function on a, you know, on a peer-to-peer opt-in censorship resistant basis, or it doesn't deliver the value proposition. Mm. Uh, And and so I think like, that's what, you know, there's a, there's a a tremendous amount of sort of like financial hubris um, in our culture and society today that like, you know, I, I, I like the idea that, that, you know, everything around us is basically just becoming sports, right? Politics has just turned into sports. Your investment yep. portfolio has just t- turned into sports. Like everything is just a spectator game where you you just get the dopamine of the number on the screen, which is either the number of votes that your candidate gets, it's the number on your IRA that that's attached to the you know to the the net worth value. Um, it's you know it's it's the the step count. You know I'm wearing I'm wearing a stupid Apple Watch that that's my that's my cattle brand. Uh, <laughs> you know that that tells yeah. me how many how many steps have I gone? What's the number? What's the count? And and so there's this like gamified and um, and quantified uh, notion of everything where, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that those are all fundamentally debasable ideas. I'm sorry if there's background noise. Um, all good. All right. There's you know, brothers and sisters working in the background. there. Ex- ex- exactly. Exactly. Um, Probably don't even need to be using their siren. They're just going ape for no reason. Yeah. Well, they're, they're going to the York grocery store to get cross town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a grocery shopping trip, folks. <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, ex- exactly. Um, well, it, it's just like like what what Bitcoin offers people, and what what the the sort of the silent majority needs to needs to be able to to make their voice a little more heard is that like this isn't about like who can get the biggest retirement number to give to your kids, right? This is about how do we engage with a monetary technology to improve the quality of life for yourself and your loved ones over your lifetime. And, and it's a much more, um, it's a much more direct feedback cycle between technology and prosperity than there is in most of these other sort of financialized games. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of politics, so I, I just saw this yesterday on Twitter. I wasn't even aware of this, but there's apparently a Bitcoin short ETF or some product <laughs> that can short Bitcoin that's been approved by the SEC. What's your take on that? So the SEC up to this point has denied a spot Bitcoin ETF because of some quote unquote market manipulation that can happen overseas. They have no problem with a short ETF. Um, do you think this is politics? What do you think the real what is behind what's going on behind the scenes here in your opinion? What do you think they're up to? Or what would be the reasoning for this? You know, I think I think the num- number one is I I have no insight or, or knowledge into kind of the the decisioning there. Yeah, we you just know, know wild think, speculation. 
I, I think that it's just, <laughs> it's just memes come to life, right? Like this is like, this is like, you know, you know, trolling at a massive scale almost yeah. where, you know, we won't, we won't approve the one that makes the, that makes the, the, you know, that, that gives access to this, you know, financial product and savings technology to a broad base um, of highly motivated constituents. We're going to do the thing that lets more sophisticated, highly institutional insiders bet against this thing rather than make sort of the broad populace get access to something that could actually be useful to them. Like, you know, this is the, the politique come to life, which is that, you know, we're going to build a tool for our friends to use and laugh with each other at a cocktail party. We're not going to make the thing that is broadly useful, you know, to hundreds of millions of Americans. Yeah. You know, we're not going to let that one through the door, but the one that, that works for our friends that we can joke and laugh about, like, yeah, let's let that one through. You know, the thing it, that's it's so it's frustrating. Sad. The thing that's so frustrating for me, and I'm sure I know Dan's watched the MIT uh, courses with Gensler. Gensler is not a rube. He understands Bitcoin um, better than probably 95% of the world, even mm. more than that. He isn't the guy who is just, you know, a placeholder at the SEC who doesn't understand it, who's just, you know, stonewalling because he just doesn't get it. Like that is, that's the thing that bothers me the most is that this guy understands, yet he is seemingly intent on blocking its, its progress. Frustrating. You know, if, if I default to my, to my, you know, good intention assumption. You know, I try, I try to assume that most people mean well, um, and, and I'm happier for it. If I assume that, then, then, you know, my, my plea to the folks making those choices is that, you know, I think this is a useful financial tool that a lot of people could really benefit from and doing so in a fair and, and, you know, sanely and safely regulated environment would be great. For a lot of people who want some exposure to this as they begin their Bitcoin journey, it's not the end of the journey. It's just sort of the first opportunity to get financial exposure as you end up getting more sovereign exposure over time when you're able to do so from a, a higher knowledge base. Um, I just think it would be a great thing to make available to people, you know, so they can make individual personal financial choices. And, yeah. and you know, that's and I'm stuck with all. GBTC with a negative 35% uh, NAV. Yeah, yeah exactly what's also really interesting is that his deputy chair uh hester pierce does not see it the same way not like at all. there is there is some beauty to that you know it's not a complete dog and pony it's may largely be a dog and pony show but it's not c a complete dog and pony show because hester pierce has been in my view surprisingly vocal about how she, she sees it so differently it, it almost does make you wonder we'll get off the speculation rant here. If there has been someone that's, it's just very simple. It's just a tap on the shoulder to Gary saying, yeah, don't let this through. You very know what I mean? Possible. Like it could be that simple. Who knows? It's coming eventually. Let's take the opportunity and say, this is time for plebs to throw some BTC and cold storage. And we'll exactly. let the institutional players get at this carcass after we've got the, uh, a shot at the, the media sections. Exactly. Mm, exactly. Yeah. I, I look, I look forward to, the institutional wave of buying fighting over yeah. a scant few Bitcoin on exchanges while those of us who are making use of this as a monetary technology are doing so on an individual self-sovereign opt-in basis. Yeah. yeah. And in the meantime, you could potentially be taking advantage of a negative uh, buying uh, Bitcoin at a 35% discount. So Harry, when you were on with Peter recently, um, you guys really went back to first principles and you explored some 
what you view as Bitcoin's core innovation, which I, I think in your view is somewhat misunderstood, maybe, especially coming from a fintech background, if we were to look at traditional finance and misunderstanding about what this is actually accomplishing. You mind walking us through sort of that uh, thought process of what the core innovation of this thing really is in your view? Yeah. So I think, you know, Bitcoin is a, is a, a beautiful and misunderstood technology in some ways in its current instantiation, um, where I think, you know, people right now think about, you know, Bitcoin's role within the broader, you know, financial landscape. Um, and, and I just don't think that's, I think that's where we end up, but I don't think that that's sort of the, the correct, um, bedrock on which to build your mental models. Um, you know, to me, the core innovation of Bitcoin is really a function of the difficulty adjustment and the proof of work, um, block discovery algorithm. So, you know, what do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, Bitcoin's unforgeable costliness is a function of the sunk energy cost and sunk computing cost, you know, computer cost and sunk, you know, construction budget of standing up mines all over the world. Um, and, and mixing that with the difficulty adjustment and, and why that combination, because proof of work was invented, you know, Adam back is, is the inventor of proof of work. So, you know, that's not a, that's not the direct sort of Nakamoto unlock. Um, the introduction of the difficulty adjustment into that is the unlock because what it does is it insulates Bitcoin from technological deflation. Mm. So if we've, if we've learned from our brother, Jeff Booth, technology deflates over time, you know, go to, you know, go to Costco in 2004 and go buy a 50 inch TV, sets mm -hmm. you back 10 grand today. That's $390 on Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. So when the government gets out of the way, technology deflates. Bitcoin mining would be a beneficiary of the same behavior when we go from a 42 nanometer chip size to a five nanometer chip size, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the amount of electricity per terahash goes down on the same sort of deflationary schedule that all other, you know, sort of Moore's, Moore's law governance achieves, except for the fact that we have a difficulty adjustment. So what, what is so brilliant there is that is that Bitcoin, the monetary technology, does not deflate as proof of work gets more efficient. Imagine that we woke up tomorrow and there was an energy source a thousand times more efficient than today's energy. That would not affect Bitcoin's monetary policy. Yeah. Which is an incredible, incredible unlock. Um, because, you know, it, without, without the difficulty adjustment, more efficient chips plus lower cost energy equals faster acceleration towards the 21 million. Yeah. Can you, for someone who's listening and doesn't understand what the difficulty adjustment is, can you outline really quick what the period of yes. time is and how that works for somebody that yeah. doesn't have a clue? Absolutely. So every approximately on average, every two weeks, I think it's 2016 blocks. Yes. Um, the, the Bitcoin network looks back at what happened over the prior 2016 blocks and adjusts how hard the the you know not it's called a nonce but like the the difficulty of finding a new block becomes such that based on the last two weeks the next two weeks should average every 10 minutes so imagine yeah. you've got you know imagine over the past two weeks 10 percent of hash rate enters the network 
over the following two weeks, the difficulty will go up by 10% so that we maintain an average block time of 10 minutes as was written in, into the code. And so why is block time important um, is because the governor of the monetary policy is the block time. Right. Because each block right now, six and a quarter new Bitcoins are minted. If that were accelerated, we'd be pulling the inflation of Bitcoin into the present. And therefore, we would, you know, we would have a different dynamic in, in the way that, um, that the monetary system works. But right. because we have this time governor of the difficulty adjustment in the code, we're able to rely on Bitcoin as a time chain. Sorry, so it keeps inflation intact in the correct um, at the time frame it's supposed to be in is in its essence what it does. Exactly, and it's and it's um, it's uh, entirely. So I'm obsessed with this other idea in in proof of work and the difficulty adjustment around exogeneity and endogeneity. So what are the components of the system that live inside the system, and what mm. are the components of the system that live yeah. outside the system? I love and that. so. Energy and proof of work is fundamentally an exogenous dynamic. I buy power from the grid. I plug in ASIC and consume power. I generate Bitcoin. So there's this, this sunk cost and unforgeable costliness that comes from the intersection between Bitcoin and energy and the physical world. But yeah. the difficulty adjustment and the time chain become an endogenous fact where Bitcoin does not rely on a third party oracle. The same way that perhaps another cryptocurrency yeah. environment would rely on, you know, you hear the term like the Oracle problem. Bitcoin mm. solves the Oracle problem through proof of work and the difficulty adjustment by creating an endogenous clock. Yeah, this idea blows my fucking mind. And you, you, you have enabled it to click in a unique way. Like this is, I'm going to distill some of what we've said and, and some of what you said with Peter. But when you think about what is the long-term generational value proposition of Bitcoin, it needs to remain robustly decentralized and it needs to work into perpetuity, okay? To remain robustly decentralized, you make the argument, and I agree after that it needs to be tied to some kind of real-world resource that isn't inherently centralizing. That's proof of work, okay? But it also, like you said, when we talk about technological deflation, it needs to be able to work into per perpetuity. And it, in order to do that, it needs to be able to keep time properly. So you kind of, you, with Peter, you enumerated these two themes of proof of work is your, you could say real world or energy tie. And then the difficulty adjustment is your time tie. And you do need both of those for this thing to work for 300 years. You just, you just have to have it. And there's nothing else that's accomplishing this. And when this sinks in, it's a high level idea. It's hard to get at first. But when you put these two pieces together, it's uh, it's a big deal. And I know you're a massive GG fan. So are we. I think mm -hmm. his I think his piece, Bitcoin is time, is an awesome place. If you're confused on what the hell we're talking about here, we'll link it in the show notes. Go read this piece because it really links together what we just unpacked there. And, you know, for, for, you know, folks who, who aren't ready to go all the way there with us yet, like reality is just governed by space and time, right? This is, this is, you know, Albert Einstein unlocking space time. 
you know, conservation of mass. Like these are, these are ideas that exist in other frames elsewhere within, you know, other schools of thought. But what Bitcoin has done is, is created a bridge to these, um, you know, these really, I think of, um, you know, the, the world is, Bitcoin is layered money. Um, and, and the world is just layers of ideas, right? Like if you think about sort of the, the deep fundamental layers of, of capital T truth, like I haven't fallen off the planet yet. I have a reasonable body of evidence that gravity is working. You know, yep. if gravity mm-hmm. stopped working, I'd know pretty quickly. And so would we all. So we're able to build on these ideas of, of, of fundamental truth that are, you know, maybe, you know, maybe some people would call it like they're equal parts, observational, computational, and Lindy is how I think about them. Like I've observed the world around me. I haven't fallen off the planet. I know gravity exists. Then we're able to run some quantitative experiments. And then we're able to track these experiments over a long period of time to understand that the counterfactual is very valuable. And in the case of Bitcoin, you know, if these, if Bitcoin didn't work, there's a lot of financial incentive to executing a plan that proves that Bitcoin doesn't work. Yes. It hasn't happened. And does that mean it can't or it won't? No. But with each passing block, the likelihood that it can or will happen goes down. And so it, you know, it comes down to, you know, what, you know, when, when people, when people say Bitcoin is, is a bubble or dead or stupid or useless um, or, or whatever, pick your, 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 your disparaging angle. You know, my, my answer is like, what do you need? What evidence do you need to be proven right? And how can I help you get that evidence? Because if you just don't like it, I can't help you. So having characterized proof of work up to this point, I think it would be beneficial now to compare that to the proof of stake system that is perpetuated through most of the cryptocurrency space. And as you said, oracles aren't needed in Bitcoin. Oracles are a step back from what Bitcoin provides. Bitcoin provides a a system that is all encapsulated and it proves itself through its own work. And so proof of work inherently is fair because I can plug in an ASIC and no matter how much money I have, I have the same amount of influence over the system as you do running grid or uh, I don't know, HUD 8 has running whatever they're running in Canada. We all have an equal playing field to mine our own Bitcoin. And yeah, I'm going to get a much smaller quantity because I'm using a lot less uh, work or power to to um, mine some, but I can still have an equal seat at the table. With proof of stake, this is inherently the system we currently have. This is a small group of people that are controlling, say, let's just use Vitalik as a whipping boy here. His group at the Ethereum Foundation can they can choose to improvise whatever monetary policy they choose as insiders because they have a controlling stake in the currency. Um, can you go on to explain for us in our audience why this is so debilitating and such a step back to the normalcy that we've had for the last hundred years of a small group of insiders having influence over monetary policy and why this is literally just stepping back from that. The Bitcoin's innovation is in effect the reduction of that possibility. Yeah. So I, there's a few, there's a few ideas I want to come at with this. Um, the, The first one is that what Bitcoin has done an incredible job of is 
divorcing how much Bitcoin you own from how much say you have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amen. So like whether I own one Bitcoin or a thousand Bitcoin, there is no difference in my ability to exert influence over the software. And and it and this is critical. Bitcoin is an open source software project, first and foremost. And so the 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 power dynamics of that environment are really, really interesting. So number one, it puts a ton of eyes on what's happening. There's a ton of developers and contributors to that software project, whether that's code review, documentation, writing new BIPs, whatever it is, right? is an, an incredibly robust development ecosystem. Um, why is that important? That's important because the opportunity to propose, merge, and integrate a change to the software thus far has been incredibly resistant to anything that's not backwards compatible. So what do I mean by that? It means that if I run Bitcoin 2015 software, I can still remain in consensus with a transaction sent from Bitcoin 2022 software. That means that I can go buy a Bitcoin, put it on an open dime, validate the transaction with my full node, go to sleep and wake up in 10 years and I can then send that Bitcoin without having to upgrade my software on my node. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Like, like this is this is the thing that people are not realizing and thinking about across some of these other projects. Is if you have a you know I, you know I don't know pick your pick your your chain and wallet of choice. You know the likelihood that you're going to be able to put your coin onto a hardware wallet go to sleep and not rely on someone else's node or third-party software or Infura infrastructure, for instance, um, in order to then go make use of that token at a later date, the fact that you have to rely on those third parties erodes the idea of wanting to disintermediate money and technology in the first place, right? You might as well just go use a SQL database because it's a lot faster and easier and cheaper and Mm -hmm. more efficient. All it does is just makes you susceptible to a third party security hole, as Nick Zabo would say, right? So as long as you're willing to tolerate a third party being a security hole in your, in your, in your mechanism, doing it with another blockchain sucks. Yeah. Yep. Here. So I've heard this, this counter argument. I think I heard this on the bankless podcast. They talk about this a lot. This is an Ethereum podcast and the argument they make is that like mining is inherently centralizing, like all the big money players, the people with access to ASICs, all these things where I just vehemently disagree. And I think it's a total misunderstanding. And this is where you are going to, I think, nod your head here is that Bitcoin mining is in de- is an indefinitely competitive marketplace. Yes. If you, if you have it is so much different than proof of stake, if you have the stake, you have it forever, theoretically, if you don't lose your coins. Whereas in a proof of work system, you may have the market share of mining today, but if you don't stay competitive, innovative, you are going hasta la vista because everybody can participate in this ecosystem. And that, that real world tie that is endlessly competitive and free market driven is what makes this robustly decentralized into perpetuity like we were talking about earlier. 
there's two ideas. Number one, totally agree. Yes, exactly. What people don't understand is, and, and, and I think that the people who struggle to understand the value of proof of work, um, are people who, who fundamentally believe that they can win the proof of stake insider game. Mm. I think that there's like this huge correlation. Chris Larson, people who hate example. Exactly. People yeah. who hate proof of work just believe they can win the cancel on effect of the future. Exactly. Right. That's why they want it. They want it because it disproportionately rewards them. We are humans. We are greedy. Like it's in our nature. And so what Bitcoin does is, is it creates a set of rules that promote better, a better um, set, set of behavior. Because if the game is to accumulate as much Bitcoin over time as possible, then the the game theoretic optimal approach to that um, is is one of sort of positive sum economics, yeah. right? Do like something I need useful. to find a way. Exactly, I need to find a way to sell you a good or a service yep. that convinces you to part with your Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin is increasingly um, valuable and and its purchasing power is increasingly substantial, then the quality of my good or service also has to get better over time because other people are going to realize they want to own the Bitcoin. And so they're, they're going to have to make a better thing. This is a very controversial statement you're making here. I mean, markets <laughs> working themselves properly with nobody intervening. Like, I, I don't know is, if we can subscribe to this. Easy, Harry, easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know my, uh, my, my, yeah, careful. My capitalism is showing. Yeah. Um, careful. The, the uh, the other the other thing here, and I want to hit on this because I, I just thought of it in our conversation now, is that this is the reason why mining is endlessly competitive, is because mining is the only guaranteed behavior to to generate Bitcoin revenue. Yeah, lightning yeah. routing will be as well, by the way. But I'm I'm thinking about this short list of behaviors that require no counterparty in order to generate Bitcoin. Yeah, And so those activities should be the highest competition areas of a Bitcoin denominated economy if we're able to move in that direction effectively. So those should be the most heavily competitive spaces because you're not required to delight a customer in order to get Bitcoin in exchange. You're forced to demonstrate um, on a on a I'm trying to think what the way the way to say exogenous like criteria, right? Like proof of work is an objective measure. Right, there's no subjectivity to your proof of work product. I can't convince someone to to enter into my proof of work sales contract, right? Because I'm I'm going to take them to a steak dinner and buy them a nice a nice bottle of wine or something. Right. Like that's not how it works, right? If you contribute work to the network, you get paid for your work on an algorithmic basis. You know, you can argue probabilities of pools and whatever, but like at the end of the day, my unit of computing gets paid. On the on the merits, the same as everybody else's, and so you know, I, I'm I'm I think a lot about like the the competitive attitudes in the mining space and why I have so many incredible mining friends from other companies, um, and it's because we're not fighting over stupid sales contracts. It's because my terahash win when I deliver them on the cheapest mm. basis, and their terahash wins when they deliver it on the cheapest basis, and so we're not fighting over opinions or or favor or personality. We're just fighting on the merits, which makes it easy to be friends. Yeah. Harry, I've got a question. This this popped in my head when I was fairly new to the space. And I think I understand the answer at this point, but I think maybe you can enumerate it well. If someone's in the space now and maybe they just entered a few months ago or a year ago and they're they're up on most things, maybe they read the block size wars from 2017. They understand that the nodes are in control of the network. A question that 
people that maybe don't have a full understanding of the space might have is what if somebody who is very wealthy just buys a shit ton of nodes and hooks them up? Their question might be like, how can they not control the network by controlling a massive amount of nodes? Can you explain to somebody who's relatively new how and why that doesn't work? Yeah. So, so the way to use nodes to influence the network is to broadly upgrade the software with changes. And so the right. soft, the, the number of nodes is less important than the software that the nodes are running and the transactions being validated by the same sovereign mm -hmm. node user. So I want to send a Bitcoin transaction and I'm running a node to validate that Bitcoin transaction. And I know the software that's on my node. It's the, it's the marriage between the transaction and the node, not just my nodes. Um, right. Yeah. The other thing is that the, the, the decentralized hive mind reacts to inputs. So if, I mean, maybe an oversimplification, but if, if there is a threat to the network like that, guess what the stakeholders that are incentivized to keep Bitcoin the way it is do? They spin up a fuck ton of nodes, yeah. right? It's saying it's not a static input. Right. And effectively what that would be is a chain split and that would just be operating an entirely different coin, say Bitcoin cash or something. Exactly. Like that. So, you know, so if I, if I launched a, you know, a hundred thousand nodes with a different software, it's not Bitcoin, right? If I launch a right. hundred thousand nodes that has yeah. Bitcoin compatible I just think that's, code. It's a very important thing for people to understand um, why this is not manipulable, manipulatable, Jesus, <laughs> um, by just spinning up a shit ton of nodes and trying to change things. Like it's akin to back to the old example of playing chess by different rules. Like nobody's going to recognize those rules and they're not going to play. with. Yeah. You. Or another good analogy that I like to draw is like, if you wanted to change one of the gospels in the Bible, like you could, you could spin out 300,000 new gospels of Mark, but guess what you haven't done is changed a 2000 year old text. You know, I mean, it's, it's everywhere, but nowhere. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're just, you're just spoofing it, right? Like you're, you're just, you're just spoofing an alternative monetary network that isn't Bitcoin. Right. Before we get off the <laughs> picking on proof of stake, we just have to quickly talk about what's going on with Solana because it is such a circus show. I, I was reading this thread. Uh, Pish retweeted it. I forget who put it out, but he basically did a great job of explaining what's going on. I have kind of written out the order of events and it is an <laughs> awesome demonstration of what is going on in a proof of stake system. So here's what went down in Solana. So there's this massive whale that has is coming up on liquidation. And so the community is really concerned about this potential liquidation of this whale. So they reached out to this person that owns this stake in the network trying to convince them, hey, we're going to try to do some kind of soft landing here, you know, liquidating this at an OTC desk kind of soft. This person never responded. So now the community has decided to vote, and this is the quote, to, <laughs> to grant emergency power to temporarily take over the whale's account so the liquidation can be executed over the counter. Okay. I so, wasn't aware of this. Holy so shit. So the users are, they voted, right? So they said, let's take over this guy's account. They voted. <laughs> unanimously yes like over 90% yes then they realized that because the votes are based on stake in the network that 90% of the votes came from a single user right cuz he had stake in the network so this big user voted the the whale probably didn't and the big user said fuck this guy let's take over his account so now they've gone about the process of saying no 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 we're going to rewrite that we're going to do another vote we're going to nullify that vote do another vote 
this is just a, de- and I don't even know where they're at right now, but it's a demonstration of how centralized these systems actually are, how at risk your capital is, right? You're some guy that gets into Solana thinking this is a cryptocurrency. It's cryptographic. I want to stay anonymous. Well, you don't respond to some the Solana community. Guess what they're going to do? Take over your funds. And the other thing about proof of stake that I think is underappreciated is the endless complexity that builds on itself versus just yeah. the jaw-dropping simplicity that exists in a proof-of-work system. Um, so those are that's like kind of the double whammy being manifested of it's inherently centralizing and... And vulnerable. And vulnerable. Exactly. Uh, what I was going to say, prone to complexity. Mm-hmm. Those are the two points. Inherently centralizing and yeah, prone to complexity a, being manifest on Solana right before there's an incredible. There's an incredible uh, exchange between Aaron Levy and Brian Chesky about Web3. Um, Aaron Levy is the CEO of Box and Brian Chesky is the CEO of Airbnb. And they're just going back and forth. Just, I've never seen a harder dunking where they're just going back and forth and saying... You know what would really make the internet better? That has, you know, the internet hasn't been working at all for ten years. Nobody uses this stupid thing. You know what'll make people really like the internet? Voting on every single decision that every single software company wants to do. That's going to be the way to fix the internet and make it useful for everybody. Let's forget this old thing. Hasn't generated double-digit trillions of dollars of value for people and usefulness and efficiency. And you know, fuck that. That was stupid. You know, so, so, you know what, and, and they don't say Bitcoin cause I don't think that they're, I don't think that they've been orange pilled effectively yet. Um, but what they're really saying is that monetary technology needs to be as small and as simple as possible because when monetary technology and markets are paying the best products, everybody's quality of life goes up over time. And so what Bitcoin wants to do is provide a monetary system that allows the builders and engineers and innovators to deliver the next round of incredible products and do so on a more self-sovereign, more individual, more opt-in, more secure, more censorship resistant, more inflation resistant, higher prosperity basis as we look to move towards, you know, yeah. a more, uh, you know, a more reasonable future. I am I am utterly self-interested. I'm utterly self-interested and greedy. I want a better life. And I have made the choice that I think Bitcoin helps me get there. Absolutely. And it it's kind of preposterous for companies to want people to vote. Voting, if you're a company, people vote by buying your shit. Like your your surplus, your your profits are literally people voting that what you're doing is something they want and they're gonna buy it. And that is the only kind of voting that matters when you're a public company or any company in general voting. And this is a hot take. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the hot take and then I'll walk it back a little bit. All right. Voting is for people who can't win in the market. Uh, I would agree. That's those, socialism. Those socialism who can, those who can't make something or sell something, vote on something. Agreed. Harry, let's tuck into your honey hole here and start talking about, uh, Bitcoin. And Ooh, energy. that's a pretty hot take right there. It's honey hole. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty aggressive there, Dan. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was uncalled for Harry. Forgive me. Um, <laughs> so you, you said before, <laughs> sometimes I forget we're not at the firehouse, Harry, you know what I'm saying? It's all good. You got to have a little bit of a filter on here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go on. You've been on record. You've been on record as saying that, uh, Bitcoin mining is a zero to one innovation in power management. 
And I want to just explore with you what makes this thing such an interesting paradigm-shifting buyer of energy. Tee off on that. Yeah. I mean, I think you need to look, you know, historically, this is, historically, this is, this is a, a technology is a human organizing principle, right? And I think about tech, you know, capital T technology as things like roads, things like boats, things like factories, um, not, you know, not bits and bytes. Um, and so, you know, what have we seen over the last 400 years in America is that basically cities get built at ports. Mm. That's been the organizing principle of urban planning in the U.S. at the at the macro level, right? Charleston, New York, Boston, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco. Yeah. You can put a boat in those places. Yep. And so, you know, so that it, that was the organizing principle of the past. And so then after that, we bolted on energy generation, transmission, and delivery onto, you know, that, so, it, so who was in the quantum superposition? Harbors were the quantum superposition of, of human organizing. Then in minority position was energy. And so what Bitcoin lets happen, maybe, is the rise of energy generation, transmission, and delivery into the quantum human organizing superposition. So why is that why is why is Bitcoin an unlock for that potential change? And and you know, I would argue it's an enormous economic unlock, is that number one, it's inefficient to generate energy far away from where you consume it. Mm. Because you lose you lose it, you know, the this the I think the second biggest consumer of energy on the planet is line loss. Just the amount of energy that falls off moving it over a couple hundred miles. And so many orders of magnitude bigger than the Bitcoin network, if we if we want to compare apples to apples to apples. Um, and so, you know, what we get to do when we change the energy consumption dynamics is change how power generators are incentivized to produce. And so what a Bitcoin miner is able to do that's different than everybody else before is they're location agnostic, they're time of day agnostic, they are interruptible agnostic, they are able to be a, a truly flexible consumer along, along space um, and time. And so as we see you know, the purchasing power of Bitcoin grow and the security uh, value proposition of, of the 21 million hard cap and settlement finality continue to be to be born into existence, the need to to deliver more Bitcoin mining operations and more hash power um, also rises. Right, the incentive to do so grows. So we're able to bring enormous customers that have new behaviors to co-locate with energy generation to go all the way back to the source. So when I think about what you know, what is the unlock? It's that a Bitcoin miner is a different type of customer than has ever existed before. So every single megawatt hour gets monetized. That's never happened before. Yeah. It, 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 was either, it was either not monetized because there was not enough demand or you had to move the energy too far. And so now what we're going to see is that an easy way to organize humans around energy availability is when that revenue is guaranteed from day one. 
So if I were going to go build a thousand megawatt power plant somewhere, I'd go build it with a Bitcoin mine attached from day one. So I know that that project's going to work. And then I, you know, I, you know, it's a, it's a field of dreams effect right. at that point. It seems likely that this, this movement would first start kind of like where you folks are at, which is make use of the wasted energy or the, the, the possibility that they have, you know, X amount of capacity, but they're only using Y because there isn't demand at the moment. So you can fill in that gap and you can provide, you know, profits they wouldn't otherwise make. And then beyond that, once that niche is kind of filled out, which it sounds like you guys are working hard at filling, I'm sure with a bunch of other competitors, then it becomes much more, you know, sensical for there to be hydro in say some area in Africa that is completely cut off from the rest of the world. They can literally provide power that could be paid for immediately and provide some village with, with power they would have never had otherwise. Yes. Yeah. So so, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like I love picturing you in some energy producer's office, right? And you explaining kind of what you just said to us and him being like, oh, that sounds cool. And you being like, sir, did you understand what I just said? Like there is none of your energy is ever going to go unsold. Like, yes, I need cheap energy. But as you said, and I like this thing doesn't need full uptime. You can gate it back whenever you need. I don't have any need for redundancy, right? And I can consume all, not some, all of your least valuable hours. Like what what is their reaction to this? Like, does it click? Do they think is there's it real? A, does, is it real? Is what's the gimmick? Like how how do they respond to this? It's it is akin to you walking in and saying, I'll handle all the bullshit and give you free money. Like, what is their, how are they reacting? I'm genuinely curious when you go and what percentage of them does this click for? Um, it, it clicks. So it clicking for the person I'm having the conversation with and the organization being able to action a project are two different things. I think they understand it, right? Like yeah. this is, and, and, you know, we've had success on, on the hiring side as well, where like there are folks who came from the utility side and wanted to come work with us because they're like, oh yeah, this is like the coolest thing that's happening in energy markets. Um, so I think that like the talent movement is real. And so, you know, that's a, that's a very positive indicator. I think from the direct, you know, conversations with the folks at the utilities, you know, there's, there's, it clicks for a lot of them, but I think that, you know, it's just early still. I think they want to see, I think they want to see 10 years of track record. Before right. they feel like, yeah. it, you know, it's comfortable. You know, these are people who are used to working on decades time scale for projects. Um, they're used to, you know, they're used to very, very early planning, you know, very sort of um, uh, methodical and systematic approaches. And they should be right. They're responsible for, you know, grandma's dialysis machine working at an effective cost. Right. So, right. you know, they're, they're the ones, they're the ones who are doing, you know, the brain surgery on our lives every hour of every day. And if the systems don't work, the body dies. So there's, you know, they need to be measured in a way that, you know, you know, my entrepreneurial spirit resents, but my practicality is very grateful for. So, you know, it's about bridging the cultural gap um, and, and making Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining work within the context of their system, not trying to jam them into my system. Right. What is your feeling over the next 10 years? Do you think that most of these energy companies are going to subsume mining or do you think miners will, uh, it seems likely to me, 
just from the outside looking in that it's much simpler for an energy producer to acquire a mining company than it is for a mining company to become an energy producer. Is that the yes. way you see it? From a purely from a friction perspective, I think that's exactly right. Like, you know, it's it's a lot easier for me to build a hundred megawatt Bitcoin mine than a hundred megawatt power plant. Yeah. Straight up, you know, budget, time, regulatory, complexity, expertise, like if you know, ask ask any ask anyone in the industry which is harder: a hundred megawatt power plant or a hundred megawatt Bitcoin mine. They'll, everybody will take the Bitcoin mine. So I, I agree with you, just from a complexity and a cost perspective, that's right. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm I'm sure we'll see both directions, right? I'm sure we'll see you know every every iteration of the combinations because at some point, like the revenue is just too is just too compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's but it's tricky, right? Like it's it's tricky when you're operating on a four year halving cycle with businesses that are used to planning decades in advance. That's a tough, um, you know, I, I'm not jealous of that investment banker's job. What would a fair counter argument be to sort of the point blank value proposition we just highlighted? So like the, hey, this is free money. I'll handle all the work. None of your hours go unsold poke a hole in that if there is a viable one. Like one that comes to mind for me that I'm just gaming out is currently with hash at close to all-time highs and price insanely low. Even if an energy producer says, hey, we're going to give you, and I don't know what the numbers are in mining right now, but we're going to give you three cents a kilowatt hour. Maybe there is a scenario where that's not economically viable and you've got this huge cohort of S19s next to your power plant that's just sitting there idle doing jack shit. Um, like what, what are poke a hole in the, if you, if you're counter arguing you in in the room, trying to pitch an energy producer. Yeah. So it all kind of comes down to like credit risk and opportunity cost. So, you know, I want to sign a 10 year power contract with a producer. They want a big security deposit and, or, or they, you know, they enter into some hedging arrangements to manage our piece of their overall system. And then Bitcoin goes to a thousand dollars and and you know, all the miners go away, or, or all the miners the way we currently think about them go away. Um, now they're stuck holding the bag on all these hedges that they put in place, assuming we would be a certain size customer for ten years. That's a really expensive position mm. to be in. Yes. And the other is the opportunity cost side, which is you know they sign a ten year deal with us in year one. Year two, someone else comes along and wants to sign a five year deal with the same power. And then in year three, Bitcoin goes to a thousand dollars and goes away, and that customer already went somewhere else. And so that the power they were planning to sell to us doesn't get sold. You know, us being Bitcoin miners doesn't get sold, and they missed out on right. You know, I don't know what whatever that other customer would have been because they had you know a customer like a Bitcoin miner in place already. So you know, the two arguments that I have are, are really around credit risk and around opportunity cost. Um, you know. We can we can fight through both of those usually, but um, but but that's that's where their heads go from a risk perspective. It's, it's hard to believe that at some point these energy producers aren't going to be looking around the room with people that they work with in the industry saying, "Why aren't we not doing this? These guys have been, you know, they're up. They have twenty percent profitability up and above our numbers, and uh, it just seems very very obvious that as long as this is successful for the next few years, they're going to be looking around the room saying, "Why aren't we doing this?" 
This is such an obvious, easy thing there, for us to implement. And there's structural reasons as well, right? So if, when I go, you know, imagine that I'm a customer, you know, in whatever grid is out there, I'm paying a bunch of ancillary charges for transmission, delivery, and all these other, you know, pieces of sort of, you know, open up your power bill. There's a bunch of line items and you don't know what most of them are for. And then you get to a number at the bottom, you pay the number. But if you're the power producer, you're not getting paid all of those line items. You're only getting paid some of them. And so maybe your cost to self-consume your power is significantly lower than to, than the cost for a, a miner who's in front of all those different kinds of charges. So there, there may be some structural advantages to where you sit within the power systems that give you a competitive advantage as a miner as well, perhaps. Um, so there's a lot of interesting angles to come at it. And you know, when we think about sort of vertical integration, we're really trying to think about like, what are the non-productive cost centers between building the mine, running the mine, and buying the power? Like what, where are the non-productive dollars? Who else is making margin that we can try to, to squeeze out of the system by continuing to grow our business footprint? It is interesting to think about how insanely nimble Bitcoin mining is. Like I can picture myself sitting across from you, I'm a power producer, thinking what's to say you're not just going to leave in 18 months to go somewhere else. You can just pick up your your S19s and go elsewhere, right? That is, in a, in a sense, a risk for them because they, they could grow reliant on the Bitcoin teat and then mommy goes elsewhere. Um, That's what contracts are for. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, another angle, I, I guess we'll pick your brain on this, is the whole like renewable discussion. I've been listening, you know, Sean Connell's been on a lot of shows recently and I love kind of the way he thinks through this, and then I'll let you keep going and say whether you agree or disagree. But basically, his point is, you've got all these nation states saying, we're going to be net zero emissions by, say, 2050, right? But to get there, you're going to have, you know, as he puts it, a 1x decline in carbon consumers. You're going to have, I think, on the recent show, he said, you're going to need a 15x, you're going to have a 15x demand in electricity. You're going to fill this gap with all with government subsidies. Like you're going to need marketplace incentives that make this work. You're going to need to way overbuild renewables for them to be viable. And so you're going to need a persistent, flexible demander of energy to make this possible. It's hard to think of something that's more pristine for this purpose than Bitcoin currently. You see it the same way. What's your thought on the whole renewable discussion as pertains to mining? Yeah, I mean, I think that any anywhere that energy markets need more demand, miners will go and play a vital role, right? Like, I, you know, I, I think Sean is is super sharp and and a, frankly a really nice guy, and we and, and we've spent a little bit of time together. But like, his brain is bigger than mine. Like, I'm like, and he knows these markets better than I do. So, like, the way I think about it is like. Bitcoin miners represent incremental non-correlated demand. And so anywhere that that's valuable and that we can achieve competitive rates, we will go. Yeah. And you do you see that continuing to organically bring in renewable energy sources or or do you think that's a bit of a fallacy? No, I think, you know, I think like the there I come at this two ways. One is that, you know, if I'm a if I'm a renewable producer uh, or, or a, a, a developer, like call your Bitcoin miners, yeah. Because if you're planning to launch new projects, you you need one of us. 
frankly, um, especially if you're in some of these more congested, less developed transmission line environments where like, actually, it's not just about generating the power, it's about moving the power and then delivering the power and then selling the power. Um, call a Bitcoin miner. Yeah, it could be a long time before that grid is built out and you're going to need something in the, you're going to be hungry in the meantime. Exactly. Exactly. Those are, those are fundamentally debt, certain, you know, debt funded projects and, and an easy way to clear that coupon is by working with a Bitcoin miner long and in advance of interconnection. Um, so that's, that's one piece of it. You know, the, uh, the other is that, you know, the, the, we're just customers, right? Like there's, you know, we vertically integrate and we do our best to manage the cost structure that's out there, you know, we being Bitcoin miners generally. Um, and, but at the end of the day, we're just customers, right? Like, so, so we go where the market pricing is effective. And so where we go, there should be disproportionate revenues and those revenues get plowed into growth. Like utilities have to spend those revenues on their system. And so, you know, another way that Bitcoin helps fight inflation is fighting utility bills. So, because we buy power in a in a utility zone, those are costs that don't get passed back to households. So we fight inflate Bitcoin fights inflation on the power bill, not just not just on the monetary policy front. But those revenues go somewhere. They go towards reliability, transmission upgrades, service, um, but they also go towards the development of new projects. And so systems that have Bitcoin miners in them should be higher margin than systems that don't have Bitcoin miners in them because we represent a different load profile than most of the other consumption sources that are out there in the market at this point. Um, and so, you know, those are the two angles that I come at it is that the, the renewable developer should call their local friendly neighborhood Bitcoin miner and and utilities and 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 grids that have Bitcoin miners on them already should be, po- you know, should be positive margin compared to their peers. Um, you know, but I also think that we what we miss in the energy discussion broadly is like we need to generate a ton more energy we need to consume a ton more energy the technologies of the future whether it's compute or hydrogen or bitcoin or uh you know any of these other sort of next generation technologies are fundamentally more energy intensive because society's um rate of return is really just a function of per capita uh megawatt hour generation um, and so how do we do that in an environmentally responsible fashion is currently a, a top of mind conversation that, that we're all kind of having. And, and that conversation for me starts with nuclear. I think that it's, it's the only technology source that has, you know, a true zero to one um, innovation unlock where the cost of nuclear, the ongoing, you know, the ongoing cost, the, you know, all that, all the different, all the different components that go into, into validating the quality of an energy generation source, like nuclear is up and to the right, um, across all of those. So, you know, that's an area where I spend a lot of time thinking, um, and, and frankly advocating because I think it's a, it's a regulatory conversation as much as a technology safety and, um, power discussion. So, you know, that's a place where I'm spending a ton of time these days, but, you know, but I think we need to think of energy more as a technology and less as like a social tax. Gotcha. I want to bring this back and make it a little more applicable for just the everyday person listening to this, who's thinking to themselves, I would really like to be mining. Like, I want to understand more about this and I want to, I want to get myself an S19 and I want to onboard this thing and 
make some Bitcoin mining, how would you, what would be your considerations to tell that person, like, this is what you need to, what's a good price per terahash, um, where? I wouldn't even go there. Got to write a business plan. Okay. Anytime you want to spend, anytime you want to invest more than $10,000 over three years, you have to write a business plan. Is it something that you would even recommend that a typical, like just say some regular person who maybe has 50 grand? I make, I make no recommendations one way or the other. The way that people choose to interact with Bitcoin on an opt-in basis is available to them. Their terahash is as good as mine. Yeah, but I guess what I'm trying to ask is, would you, do you think for just a regular person who, I, I understand your trepidation with answering this, but do you think it's most beneficial for most people to just say DCA and forget it? Maybe some combination of DCA and expose themselves to mining for, you know, maybe they can get more upside there possibly, but it, it might be a lot more competitive, obviously. Or yeah, yeah. I mean, think listen, on that? Like the the, re- the reality is, is that the power costs that most homes are able to achieve are not competitive with scaled mining operations. Right. Doesn't mean that you'll lose money. Doesn't mean that it's a bad idea or a bad investment. But it just means that you got to go in eyes wide open. You know, you know, for for those people who are you know who buy stocks, yeah. So do hedge funds. Doesn't mean you don't buy stocks yourself, right? Just because a hedge fund exists. Um, so, you know, so I, but I think you've got to go in eyes wide open with a plan, with a budget, you know, with what is, what does success look like? What does failure look like? Be measured in your perspective on, on network hash rate. So, you know, w- you know, if you, if you think you're going to spend, you know, $10,000 on, on ASICs and then another, you know, $5,000 a year on power, and I'm just using total back of the envelope numbers. Yep. Um, so over three years, you're going to spend $25,000. Today, that gets you a Bitcoin and a quarter. Do you think you're going to get more than a Bitcoin and a quarter after you do that with mining based on the modeling that you do and the and the Excel work that you do? I don't know. But but that but that's the question is, you know, are you are you trying to generate Bitcoin denominated returns or dollar denominated returns? And how do you think about the risk and the, and the opportunity of that. Um, and does that work for your personal situation and your family? So you got to think about the cost of the machine. You get some tax advantage by, by depreciating the machine. Um, you get, you have to pay a power bill every month or the machine's not productive. And, and you've got to think about, you know, what is the machine value at the end of the three year period? You know, if I'm just using three years for the sake of the depreciation. Um, um, on that on that topic, what do you what's the typical time frame these ASICs live for if you take care of them? I mean, man, like S9s are still running from like 2015, 16. Yeah. All right. I don't know yet. The, you know, the, the, ans- the answer is, is that the ASIC can run probably for 10 years. The question is, does Bitcoin and the difficulty adjustment give it 10 years of runway? Mm. Right. Right. Because yeah. I, don't, I don't even think S9s are useful right now, are they? They're basically turning them all off. They're just about. Yeah. I think this is the overarching question. And we had Whit Gibbs on last week and we, we asked him a similar question and he was like, to be honest, a lot of home miners aren't profit driven and it's understandable why, because you are for better or worse, you're up against a beast here. Like Bitcoin requires plentiful Bitcoin mining to be profitable requires plentiful dirt, cheap energy. So you would have to have access to that at your residence, let's say, if you're home mining. And then you're also up against economies of scale when it comes to 
build outs, infrastructure, the actual miners. Um, I think a lot of people are home mining just, uh, you could say, because it's fucking cool. Like I would love, you know what I mean? But, but the truth is we are, we have reached or largely reached industrial scale and it requires a lot of ingenuity and extremely cheap energy to spin profit on this in all environments. You know, like there are periods looking through the last year where this was, this looked incredible. And Josh and I were like, man, oh man, we should have had, we should have had miners plugged in with compass or whatever. And now we're like, well, thank God we didn't. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's, it, it's back and forth. And it's, it, this isn't a six, you know, back to the business plan. This isn't a six month plan. This needs to be a four, 10 year plan. And, um, you need a lot of ducks in a row for that to be profitable. And, and, it, and it's okay to have a hobby. Yeah. It's okay to have a $10,000 hobby. Yep. You know, like, but, but, but let's not pretend that, that this is your next Airbnb side hustle. Yeah. You know, where you can expect to book, you know, 150 room, you know, 150 nights of the year. Uh, you know, could you? Sure. But like, is that, is that my base case and, and, and the assumption that I'm operating under and, 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 you know, that's the, you know, if I'm, if I'm someone living at home with 15, you know, I, I looked at my power bill recently, I'm paying like something horrifying yeah. for, for a kilowatt hour. And like, I'd have been underwater if Bitcoin was 50 K or 60 K. Yeah. So, mm. you know, so like being realistic about like, what is your actual personal, you know, circumstance and situation, you know, there's some really cool stuff happening around like heating your pool and heating your, your, um, your home and like some of those, those, uh, kind of, you know, multi-purpose things. If you like, if you, if you're, if you're homesteading and you're doing a, a real kind of garden thing or greenhouse thing, putting a, a, an S19 in your greenhouse to, to heat and move air is like a sick way to, yeah. to kind of double dip on, on the usefulness of that, um, energy spend in that asset. So like, if you're doing stuff like that, like, and that's what I mean when I say hobby, like, it's a hobby where you can make some good money. Um, but you know, but I'm, I'm hesitant to say like every, you know, running a miner is, as is as important as running a node. It's, it's a bit of a different thing. Yeah. Appreciate Yeah, I like your answer it. to Josh is a couple minutes ago. It's basically in, in the most loving free market way possible. Harry said, come at me, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Bitcoin mining in a nutshell. We're doing this. This is what we have. This is the access to energy we have and the setup we have. Come at me, bro. And it's going to be come at me, bro, into perpetuity, folks. Freest market on the planet. It's going to stay that and way. Endlessly competitive. And and that's why and that's why Bitcoin, you know, I think is is built, you know, built different and built to win is that it has harnessed, you know, bit, you know, m- Bitcoin the software is what it is. Bitcoin the monetary innovation is really just hacking the human in all of us. Damn it. That's good. Profound. Um, Harry, we appreciate your time. Uh, we'll, we would, we'll have you on again sometime. This was a really rewarding, fun discussion. Give our audience a handoff to yourself, grid, whatever you want. Sure. Number one is just like, there is no better medicine than time with Bitcoiners. Um, so if you're feeling, if you're feeling like this is a challenging period of time in the market, go find a Bitcoiner, spend time with him or her, sit down, you know, have, Pet them. have a ribeye, Pet them. have a beer, whatever. And just, and just, you know, spend time with folks who are thinking about the future the way you are, because this is a long game and your time preference takes maintenance. Um, 
you can find me on Twitter, which is just Harry underscore Sudoc, S-U-D-O-C-K. Um, but, you know, guys, just like this, it's stuff like this that makes me so happy that that I don't have to spend my time focusing on, on um, anything but Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Harry, thanks for giving us the opportunity to talk about your honey hole. <laughs> that episode title right there the honey hole the sudoc honey hole no the harry's honey hole that's the title <laughs> title as you please have a great rest of your day harry all right thanks man all right boys thank you thanks so much for listening into the show if you enjoyed this discussion be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on youtube and if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB Podcast. <laughs>